Do you remember the song, You've Lost That Loving Feeling? No, I'm not going to sing it for you today on the beginning of Walk in Truth. But this message is about returning to your first love. And Jesus is going to give the church at Ephesus and us as believers a formula, if you will, to return back to your first love. Things that we can do to get that loving feeling back, to get back to where we know the life of a Christian really thrives as we stay close to our Lord. We'll learn more about that returning to your first love today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. They've lost their light in the city of Ephesus, that their influence in that city, their lampstand that was once burning bright, now they're not witnessing to as many people anymore. They, they're no longer a city set upon a hill. They're supposed to be the light of the world, but their light is diminishing. They've lost their fervor for evangelism. They've lost their passion for souls. Is it possible that it could be all three? Wouldn't you say that all three kind of go together? If you lose love for God, you typically lose love for people. And if you're losing love for God, you lose love for evangelism. Love is the key. Love is the preeminent fruit. Everything flows from love. If I have the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am nothing. I could have all, know all mysteries. I could speak with the tongue of, tongues of angels. I could have all knowledge. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. Nothing. And so, 1 Corinthians 13, write down verses 1 through 3, applies. The word for leaving your first love is a Greek word which means to send away. It's the same word used for when our sins are sent away. And it uses this idea of the scapegoat where they would confess over a scapegoat on the Day of Atonement and the scapegoat would go off into the wilderness and it was symbolic of carrying the people's sins away. And this same Greek word is used here of you've, you've left your first love. You've, you've gone the other way. There's a distance between us now. In the Bible, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's, those are the two greatest commandments, which implies to me that love is an act of the will. Love is an act of the will. If you have distanced yourself from God, God has not moved. The old image of the elderly couple driving in the car, and they used to drive, you know, his arm was always around her in the days when there weren't seatbelt laws. (laughs) And gradually, as the years went by, she moved farther and farther away, and now she was pushed up against the passenger side window. And so she looks at him one day and says, honey, what's happened to us? Why is there so much distance between us? And the husband responds, I haven't moved. (laughs) Look, if we're going to be honest tonight, and I think we need to be, each of us could ask some deep questions about how close are we? If love is truly an act of the will, then we don't have any excuses. 
We can make them all day long. Well, this, that. The seat's uncomfortable there. Seatbelt doesn't fit me quite right. We can make all of our excuses, but in the end, we have to ask the question that Hall and Oates asked. Have you lost that loving feeling? Sorry. <laughs> there was a story I heard a couple years back about two brothers who were playing in, the, in an area that had big piles of wet sand. As these two brothers were playing on this mount of sand, something like a sinkhole happened quickly. It opened up, and the two brothers slipped down in this huge pile of sand. They were trapped, sadly, one on top of the other. The wet sand was so packed around them that they were rendered immovable. The one brother who was on top was trapped up to his chin. He was just barely high enough to gasp for breath as the wet sand pressed against his body and his chest. After some time, the family came running to the scene and saw the brother barely able to breathe, the sand all around his head. They cried out to him, where's your brother? Where's your brother? And he said, he's under me. I'm standing on his shoulders. You know, the Bible tells us that we're to practice Philadelphia, brotherly love, right? And I think all of us can say, as we assess our Christian lives, we can ask, how often do I read my Bible? How well am I doing in my prayer life? And those are all good things to measure. But my love for God and my love for others really defines my Christianity, and I think that's what we need to look at tonight. A number of years ago, Johan Lucassi of the Belgian Evangelical Mission came to the realization that evangelism in Belgium was getting nowhere. The nation's long history of traditional Catholicism, the subsequent disillusionment resulting from Vatican II, the aggression of the cults, had left the land seemingly impervious to the gospel. Driven to the scriptures, he had read John 13 and devised a plan. First, he gathered together a heterogeneous group, Belgian, Dutch, American, whoever would come. And second, he had them rent a house and live together for seven months. As is natural, frictions developed as, as the believers rubbed against one another and bothered each other. This, in turn, sent them to prayer for love and victory. Finally, they went out to witness to others after this experiment of seven months, and they began to see amazing fruit. Outsiders called them the people who love each other. Their evangelism method was simply people watched how much they loved each other and were drawn back to the church. If people walk in the church in the modern age and they take a look at us, what do they see? If Jesus was to assess the called out ones at Corona tonight, what would he see? May it be that let all we do be done in love. I can't tell you how many times I've failed to love the way that I'm supposed to. So many times. And I end up often praying, Lord, I don't have this kind of love in me, so you're going to have to love through me because I just can't produce this kind of love. And that's what God said. He said, love is a fruit of the Spirit. So the more I'm spending time with God, the natural overflow of my time with him is going to be more of his love. Now, let's talk about the correction and the charge, which is found in verse 5. What do you do if you've left your first love? What are some good solutions? 
Well, there's going to be several R's here. You might want to take note of them. One is remember. Literally, the Greek is keep on remembering, therefore, from where you have fallen. You got to remember what you used to do when you were close. And you got to go back there. Remember when the prodigal son was in the pig pen and he was eating the pig's pods and he couldn't believe he had ended up there. And he, the Bible says in Luke 15, Jesus tells the story, he came to his senses and he remembered that even his father's servants were eating better than he. So he rehearsed a speech. He said, I'll go back to my father and I'll say, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he remembered. He had a moment of epiphany. He, he came to his senses and he said, I'm, I'm going back home. I'm going back home. I think a lot of Christians just need to say that. I'm going back home. And whatever happens, whatever lumps I have to take, and of course, what did he get? A father with open arms who was waiting just to love him. Remember from where you have fallen. You got to know how far you have fallen. And, and here's a word that we often think is just for unbelievers, but it, it says from Jesus to the church. He says, repent. The, the word remember means to recollect and call to mind. The word repent is familiar to a lot of you. It's the word metanoia. And a good way to think of repentance is a radical redirection of one's life in every aspect. Let me say that one more time. Repentance in the Bible is a radical redirection of one's life in every area. You cannot say you've truly repented of something. There is no halfway repentance. Let me put it that way. If you're going to repent, you're going to repent. We don't have to guess that you're repenting, right? If you're going to repent, you're going to do a 180, and you're going to start doing things God's way. Nobody's going to have to convince you. The prodigal son didn't need to be talked into it. He knew that it was time to remember and go back to his father. And so this church is told, look, you, you got to remember, and you got to repent. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth Weekend Program. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. It says, from Jesus to the church, he says, repent. The, the word remember means to recollect and call to mind. The word repent is familiar to a lot of you. It's the word metanoia. And a good way to think of repentance is a radical redirection of one's life in every aspect. Let me say that one more time. Repentance in the Bible is a radical redirection of one's life in every area. You cannot say you've truly repented of something. There is no halfway repentance. Let me put it that way. If you're going to repent, you're going to repent. We don't have to guess that you're repenting, right? If you're going to repent, you're going to do a 180, and you're going to start doing things God's way. Nobody's going to have to convince you. The prodigal son didn't need to be talked into it. He knew that it was time to remember and go back to his father. And so this church is told, look, you, you got to remember, 
and you got to repent. Do the deeds you did at first. Sometimes you got to force yourself to do some things when you're trying to get your life on track because you've been doing the wrong thing for so long, it's become natural for you to do the wrong thing. So sometimes you got to just do what you did at the beginning. What do you think these deeds would be that they did at the beginning? It could be practical acts of love. It could be hospitality. It could be witnessing. I'm not sure everything it means, but Jesus says, do the deeds that you did at at first or else. Here's an or else. You thought only only your father said it. (laughs) Or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, this is a serious warning. What does it mean? Well, if the lampstands represent the churches and the stars are the angels of the churches, and Jesus said, I'm going to take your lampstand unless you change, and the lampstand is something that what? Allows light to shine, then the conclusion is pretty, I think, basic. I'm going to take away your shining in the city of Ephesus. You're no, no longer going to have influence. Some people say it means you lose your salvation. I don't think that's what it means. I don't think that there's enough here to say that's what it means. But I think what Jesus is saying is if you want to have influence in this city, then you need to repent because you're losing your light in the city because a church that does not have love does not have light. Amen? Amen. Have you ever gone somewhere and you're like, man, these are... These people are serious. There's nobody even smiles in this place. Is this a library? Shh. Just walked in the door. I didn't even say anything to anybody. Shh. Here's a bulletin. <laughs> Take it. Now, if you run into Paul uh, Hicks, the woohooer, there's two possibilities that will happen. He will either scare you to another church, or you will say, I've never experienced any kind of love like this. The holy kiss is a real thing. Let me ask you, if you were to categorize the question this way, how well have I loved today? I'm a simple guy. How's that for a simple question? How well have I loved this week? How well have I loved God? How well have I loved my wife? How well have I loved my children? How well, as a pastor, did I love the flock this week? Did I take time? Do I care? Did I pray for them? Was I willing to weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh? How well am I loving? That's a pretty simple way to assess your Christian life, isn't it? Lord, what would you say about how well I love this week? Jesus says, if you don't change, you're no longer going to be a light in this city. Isn't that a scary prospect? You'll no longer shine for me. Oh, Lord, my cry would be, then help me to love like you love. Because the one thing I want to do is have influence in this world until you take me home. Yet, verse 6, this you do have, back to the positive, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. By the way, there are things that Jesus hates. Notice, he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. In Revelation 2.15, we'll hear about the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Here, in regard to Ephesus, Pergamum will be addressed in 2.15, and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans will be addressed. Here, it's the deeds. But remember that deeds always, typically, I, would, I should say, because maybe not always, flow out of doctrine. I was watching a Scientology special I'll deal with on Sunday night, 
And the man who was confessing to things he had done as a Scientologist in the upper echelon, he literally was trying to ruin a person's reputation by lies and manipulation. And, and the question was asked to him, how, how did you do that? How did you justify that in your mind? He said, because the target, speaking against our religion when I was in the upper echelon, the target to me was so evil because they were trying to undermine our church that I was justified in everything I did, even if I had to do false uh, documents against them and trump up charges and lie about them. I felt justified because they were doing the church wrong. Their doctrine was so messed up that their deeds followed their doctrine. Everybody with me? You might ask, who are the Nicolaitans? I have no idea. (laughs) But I have some conjecture. The early church fathers believed that the Nicolaitans came out of a group spearheaded by Nicholas of Antioch, who is recorded in Acts 6-5, as one of the seven men chosen for the widow feeding program to help the Grecian Jews take care of the widows. And if you look in your Bible, you'll, you normally don't notice him, but in Acts 6-5, he's called Nicholas the, of Antioch. He's a convert from Antioch. And people say that he started a movement called antinomianism or early forms of Greek Gnosticism, which is simply this. Anti means against, and namos is the Greek word for law. And since Ephesus was so immersed in immorality, Nicholas and people like him seemed to argue that you could do whatever you want, morally speaking or immorally speaking, and still be right in your spiritual life. And he led a a group called antinomians or early Gnostics, and this is what they seemed to excuse their sin because uh, all that really mattered was your spirit. You could do whatever you wanted with your body and Um, Jesus says, I hate those deeds. Now, here's a principle. We can hate what people do, but we don't have to hate them. Amen? I hate what sin does to people. I hate what it does to individuals. I hate what it does to families when it's happening. And believe me, a good amount of it crosses my desk. However, I am not to hate the individual. I hate what sin does to them. I hate sometimes what people do, but I still want to try to love them and pray for them and still hold them accountable. And Jesus now concludes this section in verse 7 with a familiar phrase, which he used many times in the Gospels, especially after he told the parable of the sower, interestingly enough. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, this is where we get the English word Nike for victory, an overcomer. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, quickly, as we are, we're at the end, we're out of time. The description of Jesus in Revelation 1, uh, about him holding the stars and walking among the lampstands, is from the first chapter. The tree of life, we'll see all the way in Revelation 22. It'll show up in the New Jerusalem. And the promise seems to just be this. Remember, the concern was that they'll eat of the tree of life in their fallen state and live for how long? Forever. So God blocked the way to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. But now in the New Jerusalem, access will be available to the tree of life. And I think it just just speaks of eternal life. Hang in there because you're going to eat from that tree of life and you're going to live forever. Christians, you know, may go through persecution. they'll, They'll go through tough times, but... 
One day we're going to eat from that tree, whether it's literal or figurative, and we will live forever. You might ask, what happened to Ephesus, Pastor Michael? Did they, did they heed the warning? There's an early letter from um, a church father, Ignatius, and he says these words. Uh, he says that Ephesus heeded the warning and turned around. I don't know how long it lasted. Uh, I, I've heard things that they, malaria spread through the church in like the 4th, 5th century, but it, it appears that they heeded the warning and they learned to love again. And I would just say to you, wherever you may be tonight, you can learn to love again. Amen? By the grace of God. Father, thank you for this church at Ephesus. We are humbled by the content here because it certainly applies to us. And Lord, we're just going to ask that your, your searchlight would be on our hearts tonight. And whatever we need to be uh, praised for, and I, and I don't think we should just overlook the fact that you would praise us for what we've done well. I pray that we can receive that tonight. Some of us don't take, take well to compliments. We have a tough time. But thank you that you're willing to praise us for what we do well. Areas where we need improvement, Lord, I pray that we'd hear your voice, hear what the Spirit says to the church, and amend our ways, Lord, whatever that would be. And simply, if it is to love better, then help us, Father. Help us to love like you love. What a great prayer. Just help us to love like you love. And Father, I want to pray over this precious congregation tonight, precious people of God. I pray that uh, whatever's been from me that's not profitable, they'll quickly forget it. But whatever's been from you, they'll let it percolate in their souls and act upon it, that we'll be doers of your word and that we'll love in word and in deed, Father. And as your head and heart is bowed, if you need to return to your first love tonight, if you've walked away from Jesus, if there's been a distance, if a lot of this has spoken to you or maybe it's a love uh, of another person or whatever it may be tonight, as the Lord's spoken to you, act upon what you've heard and take some practical steps and get close to the Lord. Just by being here tonight, you've taken a step in the right direction. And if you have not met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, take this moment right now to say, and I would just encourage you, pray it right now, Jesus, save me. I'm a sinner. I've blown it so many times. I've failed to love as you've called me to love. But I believe you died on that cross for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead to defeat death, and I'm going to trust you as my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sin. I receive you, your finished work on the cross, your resurrection for the payment of my sin. Thank you for loving me so much, Lord. Make me more like you, I pray. Lord, that's every one of our prayers tonight. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, one of the deep and penetrating truths in my life about the cross of Jesus is that he died there for you and for me because we haven't loved God or loved others the way that we should. God is love. And it's amazing to see God's demonstration of his justice and love on the cross, intersecting at the person of Jesus, as he dies for my lack of love. I've missed the mark in loving God and loving others, but he did for me what I cannot do for myself. Now, my friend, I pray that if you do not know this love, if you have not met the one who is truth 
and love that you've opened your heart and you said that prayer with us. And if you did, we'd like to know. Would you please reach out to us? Let us know that you opened your heart to Jesus or rededicated your life. Or if you're a believer on this journey with us in the book of Revelation, please reach out to us. Tell us that you're listening, how you're benefiting from this, how we might be able to pray for you or help you. You can do all of that when you go to walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Well, hey, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and I am so glad that you are listening to Walk in Truth and this new exciting series in the book of Revelation. Now, remember, we have the Walk in Truth online store with lots of resources to help you and your walk with Jesus Christ. Right now, we have quite a few DVD teachings in Revelation, like one about Revelation 21 called The New Heaven and the New Earth. I'm sure you're wondering, well, what will heaven be like? What's the new earth? Where will we live when we're in our resurrection bodies? What's that going to look like? Well, this DVD teaching has that and much, much more. And I'd love to get a copy into your hands. You can click on the store tab at walkintruth.com and you can order one. Order one for you and for a friend. Give them away. When you do, you're going to help us reach out to more people. Now, come back tomorrow because we're going to begin the teaching in Revelation chapter 2, words that are given to the church at Smyrna, a suffering church, a church that is going through difficulty, but that difficulty is not going to last forever. And Jesus is going to say to them, hang in there. I am with you. You're going to make it through the tribulation. And so we need to hear that teaching. All of us need to hear it, especially if you're going through a tough time. Make sure you tune in next time. Look forward to being with you tomorrow. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.